0: lovely maple grove minnesota and sixfootmama.com this is still growing with jennifer ebling still growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, I'm really so thrilled about today's show. It's the beginning of a three-part series about the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling held in and around Washington, D.C. at the end of this past June. Today, I'll be joined by fellow garden bloggers Tanya Peel of the blog Plant and Shoot, Dee Nash of Red Dirt Ramblings, Peggy Riccio of PegPlant.com, and Kathy Jentz of Washington Gardener Magazine, and also a blogger at catsingardens.com. In today's episode, we will be reviewing day one of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, and day one was focused on gardens in the D.C. area. So we'll be reviewing wonderful venues like the Hillwood Estate, the Franciscan Monastery, And some of the Smithsonian Gardens along the National Mall, including the Mary Livingston Ripley Garden tended by Janet Draper, the Haupt Garden tended by James Gagliardi the Archives of American Gardens with Joyce Connolly and Kelly Crawford, and of course, the United States Botanic Garden. We'll also review our time at Willowsford Farm and Conservancy. This was the venue for the welcoming reception that was held the evening before day one. And it's all coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, before we get started, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing podcast this week. And I hope, of course, that you're listening to a ton of gardening podcasts on your playlist every single week, because it's such a wonderful way to grow and learn as a gardener. And I'm truly, sincerely honored that you're spending some time here listening to the Still Growing podcast. I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. It's a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show, And these folks are made up of gardeners of all skill levels and locations. And you can find our group on Facebook. All you have to do is go up to the search bar and type in still growing podcast group and the listener community will just pop right up and then you can just click on it and request to join and we'll admit you into the group. Now, there are a number of benefits that you can enjoy by joining the group. First, you'll have great garden articles that I curate for you appear in your Facebook news feed. In fact, one of the ways that you can make what you see on Facebook more customized to your interests is to join groups on Facebook that focus on topics you're interested in. So if you'd like to see more helpful posts about gardening, then go ahead and join our group. Second, this Facebook group is the only place I go to pick winners for any giveaways related to the show. So if you ever hear about a show giveaway, you've got to be in the group if you want to be eligible to be picked. Third, you'll get a chance to interact with great guests that have been on the show, like Josh Volk, the author of Compact Farms from episode 560, Brie Arthur, the author of the book Foodscape Revolution, she was back in episode 569, and the four bloggers joining me on today's episode have all been invited to join the group, and I know they'd be a great resource for you, especially Kathy and Peggy, if you're planning on visiting the D.C. area. Finally, another wonderful reason to join the group is that the content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and easy to join. So just head up to the search bar on Facebook and type in Still Growing Podcast Group. Click on our group and request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. All right, it's time to welcome new members to the Still Growing Podcast Group. And they are Renee Wharton B. Etzel, Melissa Perryman, Baron Doss, Michelle Tyson Davies, Julie Mahoney, Eric Westenbrock, Kirk Barley, Laura Hatt, April Irwin, Richard Robertson, Angie Rolick O'Brien. Jinky Lindmore Cherwinsky, Adrian Harmer, Brenda Brown, Joyce Arthur, Alfred Rodriguez, John Lally, Joan Scott, Nino Kafterods, and Jackie Fanson. Welcome you guys. Well, this week in the Facebook group, there were lots of beautiful pictures and videos of listeners' gardens. Amy Steinhauser shared her garden a before and after picture. Amy's installing garden pavers as a pathway in her garden. And she'd shown a picture of these pavers kind of scattered about her garden. And then the second shot, the after shot, showed them in a nice orderly row along her garden. And then she clarified. She said, after I hauled two wagon loads of pavers up there, I asked my 21-year-old son to unload and stack them anywhere. He took stack to mean spread. So there were 46 pavers all over the place with the weeds thriving in between. Nothing like asking your kids to help you, right? And then Amy also shared pictures of her onion harvest, which look amazing. She did a great job. Sue Luftig shared a garden find that she made earlier this week. She found two vintage reclining lawn chairs, the ones that have the wheels on the back. They look great. They're in great shape. They just need a little touch of paint and some new cushions, and she's got herself a great deal there. Marlee Karwaski shared her giant Himalayan lily that bloomed over the 4th of July weekend. This is the largest species of lily. It grows to 10 feet or more, and it takes seven years to bloom from seed. And Marley shared this amazing picture of her standing next to this lily, which really helps us get a sense of the scale of this lily. It's got to be close to 10 feet tall. Anyway, these lilies are monocarpic, meaning they die after flowering. But there are offsets left to carry on. Anyway, I responded to this post and I said, now that's cool because it really was a very, very cool picture. And I love that she stood beside it to give it the scale. And seven years of waiting. Talk about patience in the garden. And listener Michelle George shared a beautiful plant she has growing in her garden. It was an image of a hosta that has a flower that's blooming way down in the middle of the leaves. And Michelle says it's the hosta, remember me. It's very sweet. And then listener Julie Lang had a question. She said, "'My friend asked me to take this little Japanese maple off her hands. I have plenty of space to find a home for him on our property.' But he's had a rough time living in this pot in nearly complete shade and without much watering, it seems. Can he pull through? I'm keeping him in a shady spot and planning to water him regularly, daily, while I see how he does. Most of the small branches are still supple. Any suggestions on resuscitation? Listener Beth Engel replied, I would repot him with a new mix if you're planning on keeping him in the pot for a while. I'm concerned about the health of the roots. And if the potting soil is bad, maybe old, maybe too much fertilizer, maybe drought stress, it would be helpful to repot using new mix. If the young limbs are supple, good chance it can recover. Craig Thompson chimed in and said, I agree with Beth. Lots of TLC with new potting mix and good watering should do the trick. They're tougher than I thought. And then he shared a picture of his Japanese maple. This one was a stump removed from the garden and it's growing back. And then he signed off, can't keep a good Acer down. And Patricia Chandler Newport added, the red Japanese maples are best in part shade. The green ones can handle full sun. Anyway, great input here for Julie. I'm optimistic that her red Japanese maple will survive and will thrive under her attention. Julie Lang also shared an image of of a part of her garden where she's got peonies and rudbeckia growing together. The peonies are in the back row against the house and then the rudbeckia are in front of the peonies. And here's what she wrote. Which plant gets moved? The peonies are in back and being completely overtaken by the robust rudbeckia. They're not a great visual combination anyhow. The rudbeckia was a budget choice, just moved from another garden location. Both plants were put in the bed a year ago. This spot faces west and gets full sun from the afternoon on. I think I have a good alternate location for both plants, and I'd probably do the move Late in the season. I'm in Michigan. What do you think? Well, I suggested moving the peonies and putting something taller in the back, like Joe Pieweed or some grasses. Sherry Cump pointed out that she would say peonies, but keep in mind they're more sensitive to a move than the Rudbeckia. That's true. The peony planting depth must be kept the same. And then Patricia Chandler Newport had a fantastic idea. Here's what she said. I would just thin the black-eyed Susans, creating a small separation between the two. The peony can be clipped shorter, since they're done for the season, and the black-eyed Susans aren't very tall early, when the peonies are in bloom. And then she wrote this, "'My peony are interplanted with joe pieweed. The joe pieweed overtakes the peony shortly after they are finished blooming.' They're completely engulfed with no direct light and do fine expanding year after year, zero ill effect. And then Patricia went on to share a photo of her peony that are hidden underneath the Joe Pieweed. And I thought that was just so clever because peony after they're done blooming are really nothing spectacular to look at. So to have them hidden by a perennial, an aggressive perennial like joe pieweed is fantastic. Isn't that a great tip? That's a perfect example of why I love the listener community for the show. It's great for me to be able to interact with you and see posts from folks who share our passion for gardening and have a curiosity to learn more. So come hang out with us. Don't be shy. It's really so super simple to be part of the group. The next time you're in Facebook, just type Still Growing Podcast Group up in the search bar and request to join. I look forward to meeting you over in the group. Just a reminder, if you have questions or comments for the show, you can go ahead and reach me at 865-333-GROW. That's 865-333-4769. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments, from updates on past guests to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with. And that's something I call the Dream Guest Segment. I also cover news and information on special topic areas like sustainability and science, And then the other segments are really designed to honor the commitment of the show to helping you and your garden grow. And they are the How To DIY segment, the Continuing Ed segment, the Plant Spotlight, Shopping, Recipes, Inspiration... And quotables. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can stay somewhat abreast of the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the still growing podcast group. So if you hear something and want to read the full article, there's no need Need to take notes or track down links, just head over to the group and request to join. All right, there were three posts that made it in the guest update segment this week. The first one is from my friend Jen McGinnis over at Frau Zenny. She just published her July garden chores. It's a fabulous list. She does this every single month. So if you're looking for ideas for some things to keep in mind, go ahead and check that out. It's great. Past guest Pam Pennick on episode 555 of the Water Saving Garden did a post about Linda Hostetler's garden. This was an amazing garden featured on day three of the Garden Bloggers Fling, and I shared it on a Sunday morning as a Sunday morning inspirational piece. Linda has a beautiful garden, and one of the most striking features of this garden is the way she incorporates this beautiful vibrant blue color it's a cobalt blue and it takes center stage in her back garden past guest and author of the raised bed revolution tara nolan from episode 531 shared a great post on her blog savvy gardening and this was all about her experience visiting the chelsea flower show for the very first time Now, Tara got to visit the Chelsea Flower Show on press day, so she didn't have to battle some of the overwhelming crowds that can take place when it's open to the general public. But she had a number of wonderful first-time impressions just visiting the show, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you. First, she said the British seem to be way more into gardening than we are here in Canada, where companies are constantly trying to figure out how to appeal to millennials. At Chelsea, journalists were writing and filing stories right from the press office. And as media showed up, they were handed a packet stating which stars were going to be present. And although she didn't recognize many of the English stars, she did recognize Dame Judi Dench, who was going to be at the David Austin Roses booth. How fun is that? One of the gardens she featured was a Yorkshire garden. And she wrote, this garden was pretty elaborate because materials were actually sourced from the Yorkshire coast. A garden representative told me that the pebbles in the water would all be cleaned and returned to the beach from whence they came. Can you imagine? Anyway, Tara shared many wonderful little nuggets of information in this post, and it was so fun to see the Chelsea Flower Show through her eyes, through the eyes of a first timer. So if you get a chance, go back and catch that post, because I think she just did a tremendous job. In sustainability this week, I shared a number of things. The first was a video on the impact of tilling on soil and rain. And the whole point of this video was to show the impact of soil disturbance on soil function. So the person in this video from the USDA showed disturbed soil and then undisturbed soil and how they handle rain. And in undisturbed soil, the rain came down, permeated the soil, and then drained out the bottom of the container. But in the disturbed soil sample, the rain would come down and just sit on top of the disturbed soil. It had a very difficult time permeating, and no water came through the bottom of the container. was a very powerful illustration. Treehugger.com shared common sense tips for processing the greens in your CSA box or garden. And the article was called The Secret to Eating Through an Early Summer CSA Share. And the issue here is that you get your CSA box or you get your harvest from your garden and you have so much and you're not sure what to take care of first, what to process first, what to eat first. This article does a great job of breaking it down step-by-step. And one of the things the author says is this. Over the years, I've realized that the most important thing is to process the greens as soon as they come into the house before stuffing them away in the fridge where some are likely to get lost or forgotten. I take time to wash and dry all lettuce. It gets packed into a large Tupperware along with the arugula. So that makes making salads easy. And this is key. Salad must always be as easy to make as possible because otherwise it won't happen. It might not seem like a lot of work to pull out a salad spinner and start washing, but it does seem daunting when hungry kids are waiting at the table and the kitchen counters are covered with stuff. It also makes me inclined to prep quick single portion salads for lunch. Anyway, great post here with lots of little shortcuts and ideas and hacks for using your garden harvest, whether that comes from a CSA box or directly from your garden, or even the farmer's market. Gardenista shared a great post this past week called Landscape on a Budget, 10 Ideas for Mown Grass paths. So these are the paths that you make if you've got tall grass and you just want to mow a path. That's basically it, whether it's on the side of your garden or on the perimeter of your garden or along a wild area on your property to kind of act as a little bit of a border. Anyway, this was a great post with lots of great ideas. And then Garden Betty shared a quick gardening tip on her blog called Eat Those Thinnings. And in this post, she recognizes that thinning can be tedious work if, like me, you tend to sprinkle your seeds pretty liberally in the soil and are faced with hundreds of seedlings to thin every season. And then she goes on to say, the one saving grace that makes this task bearable is treating those thinnings as an early harvest of your crop. Great idea. And then in continuing Ed this week were a number of really awesome posts. The first is from Gardenista and it's 10 ideas to steal from the romantic gardens at Kifskate Court. Among the ideas are having a refined color palette, growing clusters of martagon lilies, of course, incorporating roses in the form of climbing roses and rose hedges, and then this suggestion that caught my attention, and that was Duzias at every turn. Now, Patricia Chandler Newport and I talked about this a little bit in the Facebook group, and she said that she had just read a post about dutzias, and they can be incredibly invasive. So before I go ahead and start incorporating them into my garden, I need to do a little homework on how invasive they are up here in Minnesota. Tanya Peel, who's joining us on the show later on today, had a great post in her blog, Plant and Shoot, called The Best Time of Day to Shoot Garden Photos. She said the golden hour is the first hour after sunrise or the last hour before sunset. And then she does a nice job of providing tips and examples of the difference between shooting in the golden hour and shooting in the non-golden time. One of my favorite posts in the Continuing Ed segment was by Gardenista, and it was called English Cottage Gardening, Eight Lessons Learned from Rural Suffolk. It included creating vignettes using vintage pots and containers, and then my favorite, defining a dining room. This is something I'm struggling with. I've got a dining area on my property, and it's not as defined as I want it to be, and I'm struggling with what plant material I want to use to define the space. So until I'm able to do that, it feels unsettled and it feels disconnected from the garden. So that portion of this post really spoke to me. In the how-to DIY segment, Meredith Swinehart shared a post called Steal This Look, mattress springs as DIY wall art. And in this post, they show a unique garden feature in a picture of this garden that has a brick wall that wraps around the outside of this suburban Melbourne garden of designer Andrew Plyman. And what they saw on the wall was rusted bed springs that were attached to the wall. And Andrew says, there's lots of rusty things in my garden. I just find them on junk piles and stick them in the back of the car when I'm driving past and drag them home so they all start to work together as a group. Anyway, I thought this looked kind of cool. In the plant spotlight this week, I shared a video by Smithsonian gardener Janet Draper as she was doing a video introducing us to the pelican flower. That was a very cool and informative video. Hortmeg.com shared Daniel Hinckley's picks for summer-blooming shrubs. This was a very nice list. It lists all the zones for these plants, and what do you know, I saw Dutzia on the list. Also in the Plant Spotlight this week is a post by Garden with Diana, and it's featuring Stachys moneri humolo. This is in the lamb's ear family, but this plant looks nothing like traditional lamb's ears. This standout plant has glossy, crinkled, long and narrow, dark green foliage that grows in mounds up to a foot tall and a bit wider. Diana says that in her garden, the plants are slowly spreading to form a dense, weed-choking mat. And it has beautiful, showy flowers. From the end of June to early September, 18 to 24 inch leafless stems arise from the foliage boasting spikes of reddish purple flowers that resemble salvias. This is a very enticing post about this plant. And then finally there was a proven winner's color choice flowering shrub plant of the week that was featured on the blog through the greenhouse glass and it's the shrub that's known as The button bush, the sugar shack cephalanthus. And you would not believe the firecracker bloom on this shrub. The post says that the crazy flowers are quite fragrant. The pollinators love them. And if you can imagine a flower that looks like a little orb, so it's very round, and then it has spikes coming out all around it, that's what the flower looks like. And in this particular picture, it looks white. So a pretty fascinating shrub. In the news this week was a great post from Urban Gardens about Vegetecture. This is an architectural building project that's taking place in Paris that's bringing vertical farming to life. And of course, in true Parisian style, they don't do anything that's not architecturally beautiful. So the word vegetecture is a combination of vegetable and architecture. And this vegetecture complex is absolutely gorgeous. You have to see it. Also in the news this week was a wonderful post from Horti Daily that was talking about the growing demand for asparagus outside of the country of Turkey and how one company is looking to fulfill the demands for asparagus for the country of Turkey. It's a very interesting article. There were two folks who made up the dream guest segment this week. The first is Sarah Nixon. She's the founder of My Luscious Backyard, and she's an inventive Toronto gardener who didn't let a little thing like space get in the way of her dream of starting a cut flower business. Sarah Nixon offers beauty and maintenance to her garden owners because she leverages the gardens of her neighbors, but she does not give them the option of using their yard as a cutting garden. She says, when you have such a small amount, every stem is accounted for and people understand that. So she takes care of providing a beautiful space and the maintenance, but then she gets to cut the blooms. I thought that was ingenious. And then my friend and fellow garden blogger, Julie Thompson Adolph, said, she's awesome. I met her at the Toronto Garden Blogger Fling and she toured us to some of her cutting gardens and her neighbor's clients' yards. So clever. I love what she does. Also in the Dream Guest segment this week from Danger Garden is Richie Steffen from Joy Creek Nursery, who recently put on a workshop about how to build a fern table. And I'm so fascinated by this that I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'd be willing to come on the show and tell us about creating a fern table. This was a really interesting article. So thank you to Danger Garden. In Science This Week, The Guardian posted an article called Early Sightings Hold Promise for Butterfly Spotters. And in it, they said Matthew Oates of the National Trust and Butterfly Conservation's Neil Holm spotted 148 emperor butterflies in one day last week. That's extreme butterflying, and it's also great news compared to last year. Because in England, last summer was the fourth worst for butterfly spottings since scientific monitoring began in 1976. And then Cornell University shared an article about one of their plant breeders that's working to develop better cucumbers. That's an interesting article. And finally, Science Daily shared a very in-depth article talking about how the growth mechanism of fungi has been decoded. It turns out fungal cells do not grow by division, but extend almost infinitely. And there's a video sequence that illustrates this growth. In shopping this week is a tiny tabletop greenhouse that was featured by designer Mia Lagerman. It's very simple, it looks like it would be easy to make as a matter of fact, and it's also very expensive, it's over $400 US. But if you're looking for a tabletop design, this would be a great source of inspiration. Finally, my friend Marianne Newcomer, a blogger over at Gardens of the Wild Wild West, shared a post recently on the Chelsea Chop. But what I thought was in the post that was extra interesting is her recommendation for a book called The Well-Tended Perennial Garden by plant wizard Tracy D. Sabato Ost. And Marianne wrote, This book is so good, I have recommended it for years. It's been updated again, so you can get the third edition. I went on Amazon and looked for a used copy of one of the older editions, and I think I got it for a couple of bucks. So if you're interested in learning about pruning and taking better care of your perennial garden, this book should be on your shopping list. And again, it's called The Well-Tended Perennial Garden by Tracy D. sabato Ost. In inspiration this week, there were so many great posts. The first one was by Plant Pop, and it was a film on William Saran. He's a visual artist and musician, and in this video, they show him and the process that he goes through to paint dried peonies. I loved this video, and I loved meeting Laura Christian of Plant Pop at the Garden Bloggers Fling. I love the work that Plant Pop is doing Their videos are short and quick, but so powerful. And of course, they focus on the connection between people and plants. So start by watching this video and then head on over to their website. I guarantee you'll get hooked. The blog Late to the Garden Party shared a wonderful post that was called Wednesday Vignette, postcards from the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, and it just shared A smattering of images from the various gardens, but I thought it was so well done. It was very touching, very poignant, and of course, very inspiring. And then finally, here was a fun piece that made the inspiration segment, and it was just called DJ Khaled Loves His Garden, and it was featured in the New York Times. It was a video of this guy walking through his garden, and as he would see his gorgeous plants and flowers, he would say, I love you. So if you talk to your plants, you'll get a kick out of seeing this video. It was great. In recipes this week, I shared a summer harvest salsa recipe from past guest Bryn Haas over at Creative Living and Growing with Bryn Haas. It's a delicious summer salsa, including things like black beans, corn, onion, jalapeno, cilantro, garlic, tomatoes, and so on. It's very colorful, very healthy, and a great way to use your garden harvest. And then the blog I Wash You Dry had a great recipe and video for Parmesan roasted cauliflower. And I Wash You Dry wrote, my kids go crazy for this super easy Parmesan roasted cauliflower. It pairs perfectly with everything. And The video makes it look so quick and easy. I think you could try it on things like broccoli as well. In the quote segment this week, I wanted to share this cute little thing that Danny Perkins had shared with the group. It was a quote that said, weeding the garden is like dusting the furniture. No one notices unless you don't do it. That was cute. On the 4th of July, Analytical Grammar shared a sign that was outside of the landscape business called Urban Earth. And here's what they put on the sign outside their building you can't plant flowers if you haven't botany. Get it? You can't plant flowers if you haven't botany. (laughs) Uh, People love that. Patricia Chandler Newport chimed in. I love a good pun. Well, speaking of the word botany, as I was looking for something for the quote segment this week, I ran across this poem by Burton Braley, who wrote this for a science newsletter back on March 9th, 1929. And it's simply called Botany. Here's what he wrote. There should be no monotony in studying your botany. It helps to train and spur the brain unless you haven't got any. It teaches you, does botany, to know the plants and spotany and learn just why they live or die, in case you plant or potany. You learn from reading botany, of woolly plants and cottony that grow on earth and what they're worth, and why some spots have not any You sketch the plants in botany, you learn to chart and plotany. Like corn or oats, you jot down notes, and if you know how to jotany. Your time, if you'll allot any We'll teach you how and what any old plant or tree can do or be, and that's the use of botany. Well, hats off to Burton Braley for that lovely poem that made the quote segment this week. And that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed, If you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group, just search for that the next time you're in Facebook and then request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, day one of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling. Now, this episode is the first in a three-part series featuring the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling held in and around the Washington, D.C. area. Now, for today's show, I'm excited to be joined by fellow garden bloggers Tanya Peel of Plant and Shoot, Dee Nash of Red Dirt Ramblings, Peggy Riccio of PegPlant.com, and Kathy Jens of Washington Gardener Magazine and the blog Cats and Gardens. In this episode, we'll be reviewing day one of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling, and day one was focused on gardens in the D.C. area. So we'll be sharing highlights from venues like the Hillwood Estate, the Franciscan Monastery, and some of the Smithsonian Gardens along the National Mall, including the Mary Livingston Ripley Garden, tended by Janet Draper, the Haupt Garden, tended by James Gagliardi, the Archives of American Gardens with Joyce Connolly and Kelly Crawford, and of course, the U.S. Botanic Garden. And we'll also review our time at Willowsford Farm and Conservancy from the welcoming reception that was held the evening before day one. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Well, hello, ladies. Welcome to our 2017 day one garden blogger fling reunion. Hello, Hello. Hi. Well, and hi to all of you. This is going to be fun. Before we get started, let me have each of you take a minute to introduce yourselves in your blog. Maybe tell us a little bit about where you're from, what zone you garden in, and a little bit about yourself. Dee, did you want to kick it
1: off? i will be glad to. My name is Dee Nash, and I've written the blog Red Dirt Ramblings for 10 Long years, no, I'm just kidding, 10 short years. I'm from Oklahoma, and I garden in Zone 7A. I've been to the fling, gosh, there's been nine flings, and I've been to eight of them, including the first one. And let's see, it says for me to tell you a little bit about myself. I think I'm kind of a boring person. I just have four kids. I garden on an acre and a half. I'm married, and I have two dogs and a cat right now. All
2: right. Tanya? My name is Tonda Peel, and I blog at Plants and Shoots. Um, I've been blogging uh, about gardening since uh, 2014, but I actually started my blog in 2010, um, but it had a slightly different twist, um, but like I said, I've been dedicated to gardening since 2014. I live in North Carolina, so I garden in Zone 7B, and this was my first fling, so I'm super excited um, to be talking about it and look forward to attending other flings. I have one son. He's a teenager. I am married, and I have one golden doodle, and her name is Sasha.
0: (laughs) That's great.
1: Peggy. My name is Peggy Riccio, and my site is called pegplant.com, which I've only had for a couple of years, and before that, I wrote for print gardening magazines for many, many years So as a freelancer, and so I just decided to have my own website and do it on my own website, and I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, Zone 7. And this was my very first fling. Mm-hmm. I was on the committee helping Tammy. And I work full-time. I live in Alexandria, but I work in Rockville, Maryland. And I have two teenagers who are twins and married. And, you know, I garden as much as I can and write as much as I can about gardening in addition to taking care of the family and the full-time job.
0: Oh, Peggy, I feel ya. I can relate. Kathy?
2: Hey, how are you? Good. I'm Kathy Jen. I edited and published Washington Gardener Magazine. We're all about D.C., Maryland, and Virginia gardening. And I live on the other side of the Beltway from Peggy. And so I see her in my circles running around town. And my blog is for Washington Gardener Magazine. And I also have a fun blog I do on the side called Cats and Gardens, where I share kitty pictures in garden settings, which we did see some of at this past fling, which was great to see. This was my first fling, and I had zero kids, but two fur babies, two kitties, and I garden at home in a very urban setting and across the street at a community garden.
0: Oh, that's lovely. Well, you guys, I love the different perspectives we're going to get here, from experienced flingers like Dee to newbies like Kathy and Tanya. So this will be fantastic. And then Peggy was on the planning committee, so she can give us some of the behind the scenes, what it took to put this fling together. So if you have any of those good details as we're talking about any of these venues, Peggy, you'll have to clue us in. That would be great. Okay. Well, before we chat about day one, let's take a second to chat about the reception that was held the night before at Willowsford, a unique development in Northern Virginia that included a 2,000-acre farm and CSA for the residents. We had a chance to visit the farm. They had a farm stand and gardens. Ladies, what did you think about this location?
1: Well, this is Peggy Riccio, and just so you know, for the entire fling, the weather was just gorgeous, and that night it was just gorgeous. The weather was just beautiful. So it was sort of like dinner under the stars. So I was really impressed with the weather, um, because we are always worried that it was going to rain, but we had hors d'oeuvres there out in the patio, and then we could walk across the street to the farm. So to me, it was a magical night, because that's when everybody was together,
2: and it was just beautiful. But yeah, this is Kathy Jen. And I live in the area, so I'd heard about Willis Ford for a few years and I was really looking forward to seeing it. Not disappointed at all. Beautiful setting, really nice farm area and the farmer was cute too, that didn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) He was cute. Yeah, I was looking back at the some of the sling pictures that other people had posted, and I was like, hmm, there are a lot of this farmer that <laughs> night, and not so much of what he was growing. <laughs> so, that was cracking me up. One really clever thing I thought was where the farm stand CSA pickup was. They had a little cutting garden for herbs and flowers that was incredibly well-labeled, I thought. And I don't usually see that at some of the pickup places, so I thought that was a nice touch that little farm,
1: yeah, I thought that that was really cool. This is D I thought I loved their farm stand, and I loved the fact that they had an educational garden right outside the farm stand to help people and the food was marvelous by the way. All of that great cheese from local cows mm-hmm. and goats. I thought that was really good too, so and local honey. Yeah. Mostly, I ate food. Lots yeah. of
0: food. Yeah, yeah. For most garden flings, this is how they start, right? They pick a venue usually the night before, and it's an opportunity to get to see folks that you maybe met the previous year or in previous years. If they haven't attended regularly, you get a chance to catch up. And then it was just such a really beautiful venue. We were kind of driving out into this gorgeous development that Mm -hmm. was cropping up all around this place too. The homes were beautiful. I thought this place was really great. The food was really great. They had this one appetizer where they had a little beet and then a small round ball of cheese that was coated in, I don't know if it was pecans. Pistachios. Pistachios. There Mm -hmm. you go. Yeah, everybody was loving that. And uh, I think a lot of their appetizers were incorporating their farm fresh ingredients. So that was great.
1: Yeah, they did. They had desserts afterwards. Lots of desserts. Did you see that, the little containers? Was it rhubarb? It was red? It was sweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a compote.
2: This is Kathy. It was a mix of strawberry and rhubarb.
1: Mm-hmm. That um, was really nice. a
2: little compote that were both sourced from the farm. Mm-hmm. And I had a little chance at the end, since I stayed a little longer, to talk to um, the chef on site. And they were super excited to have had our group and um, to be able to show off some of those dishes.
0: Yes, well, they have a really neat thing going here. In fact, if you head over to their website at willowsford.com, you'll see that this conservancy and farm is smack dab in the middle of this housing development. And Willowsford does a number of things for this development. They offer a farm stand. They do a weekly produce share. They have a gardening hour, educational programs. They do trail management, campsites, and nature walks. They offer quite a bit to the surrounding community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a working farm. It's not just kind of a cool factor for this particular development. This is a farm that manages 300 acres of land, and they grow more than 100 varieties of veggies, herbs, and fruit, and they even raise livestock. So there you go. Wow,
2: this is Tanya. Sounds like I really missed the treat because um, I missed that whole event. We arrived at the hotel just as your buses were pulling up. So. Oh, yeah. And I think that
1: happens a lot. You know, there's a bunch of different mm-hmm. schedules. People are flying in from all over the United States, and so mm-hmm. sometimes you can't make it to the first thing or the, the You know, sometimes there's an after tour like this year, and so you can't make it to that. But there's enough at a fling
2: that you still get to see so. So much. That's true, and and it's funny. I did post to the group um, before the event, asking, okay, which you know, which is the least painful if I miss the opening or if I missed the closing? Because I knew, you know, just based on our schedule, I would have to miss one or the other. And everyone was like, oh, you definitely have to be there for the closing. So, you know, this time I had to to make a choice. But next year, I hope to be able to attend the full event. There was almost a hundred flingers from all over the United
1: States, including Canada and England. So, I learned, you know, if I go to travel to a fling, i learned that I've got to get there way ahead of time and unpack and everything and be prepared because it's very intense. Yeah. (laughs) It is intense. Yeah. In a good way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in a good way. Most days start around eight in the morning and then you're getting on these motor coaches and you're touring until about five o'clock at night. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a long day. It's a fun day, but, you know, most riders tend to be introverts, so... You extrovert a whole lot and then you go collapse in your room. It's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right.
0: Well, I thought Willowsford was a great place to start. And one of the things I admired about how they had set up the perimeter of the farm is that they had this fantastic brick wall that they had painted white. So it was red brick. But then they had painted it white to completely coordinate with the white farmhouse. And I thought that was such a great idea because a lot of people don't think to even paint brick. But it did such a nice job of tying the entire property together. And I, the thing I loved the most about the brick was that it was kind of a peekaboo pattern. So there was brick and then there was a lot of spaces in between the brick so that you could see through it. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. that sounds lovely.
0: Well, let's get started with day one. We started day one at the Hillwood Estate. Now, Hillwood's spectacular gardens capture the vision of Marjorie Merriweather Post and what she conceived when she was rebuilding the estate in the 1950s. There are 13 acres of formal gardens that extend from the home's terraces and porches in a progression of outdoor rooms. And each of these rooms is meant to complement the mansion's interior spaces and encourage an intuitive flow from the French Partier Garden to the Rose Garden and on to the Friendship Walk. There was so much to see at Hillwood. What were your impressions?
2: Um, This is Tanya. I really, really enjoyed Hillwood, um, I guess because it's yeah, although my garden is, is nowhere as big as this, you know, this one. Like you said, thirteen acres of garden. But um, I really like the cutting garden and the greenhouse. Um the cutting garden, you know, was just it was really organized. You know, I like the neat little rows, um, the you know, sort of the bark pathways and then just the flowers that were in that garden really resembles what I have. Um, I you know, forgot to mention in the introduction, but I also have an urban garden. Um, I garden and raised beds. Um, and I do have a little hobby greenhouse. So to me, and this was most like mine. Um, I was really excited to see, you know, just so many zinnias and coneflowers and mm-hmm. sunflowers, um, gumfrina. It just, it was just so beautiful. Um, and just the way the cutting garden was laid out. And like I said, it, it gave me a vision of how I can expand and improve mine. Um, but I, I just thought it was gorgeous. This is Kathy Jensen. I'm so glad to hear that, Tanya, because Drew, who is in charge of the cutting garden, is a friend of mine and he's gonna be ecstatic to hear that. (laughs) So I just I love that cutting garden and I've given a few talks to local florist groups and it's definitely a place of inspiration not just for gardeners but also for florists as well. And just the beauty is overwhelming. In a place that's really utilitarian, if you think about it, just, you know, okay. cutting gardens are not pretty. And this one is sitting right out front, pretty much. I think it was
1: the best part. I
2: mm-hmm. thought that yeah. this
1: is D. I thought the cutting garden was the best part. I enjoyed the rest of the garden, um, but, you know, a lot of those formal gardens are very similar to uh, similar to other formal gardens we've seen. And the cutting mm-hmm. garden was just this beautiful surprise. And then we learned that they use all of those flowers for the interior of the house. And I don't know, it just maybe it's because we're all gardeners. Um, I just found it to be so beautiful. I have a cutting garden too, and I also have a hobby greenhouse. So, you know, I loved all of that.
2: Ooh. Yeah. And just, you know, like you said, they use, you know, the flowers on the inside. So again, you know, it was very relatable to me. Um, you know, while we were on the fling, I mean, we just saw some amazing landscapes. Um, uh, you know, and some of them I sort of felt were out of reach for me. Um, but for this cutting garden and the greenhouse, again, I just, it was, it was relatable and something I could aspire to, um, you know, have a little slice of in, in my garden. Ooh.
1: Yeah. The cutting yep. garden, did you see that it has the, um, there was like one of those mailboxes in the cutting garden that's weatherproof that has the sheet of all the different flowers that are in the cutting yeah. garden?
2: No. Yeah. No. Actually,
1: I missed that. I'm sorry, I oh, missed it. You could have taken the sheet and so, like, since I live here, I can use that sheet as like a guide. Like, if they can grow this, then I can grow this. So now exactly. it would just be a whole new repository mm-hmm. of plants that I can grow. Well, and most of us are in zone seven, or, I don't know, Tanya, you may be in the, a-
2: you may be eight, in A. I'm in 7B. Yeah, and um, I'm in 7A. All of
1: us except Jennifer are in 7,
2: and we eight. could all
1: use those flowers. In fact, very a lot of those flowers are in my cutting garden at home. Exactly. Mine, too.
2: Yeah, mine, too. That's great. Um, I was sort of struck by the use of sedum uh, in the gardens. Um, I have a little sedum autumn joy that I have in a pot. And I'm not really sure why I never thought about planting it actually in, you know, some of my flower beds. But that was something that I, you know, that really struck. It seems like, I, you know, maybe five gardens that we saw the whole weekend just had, you know, just collections of sedum actually planted in ground. And again, I, I don't know why I never thought of doing that. I just had them in a pot.
1: <laughs> but you can put them in a dry spot in your garden and autumn joy will be great.
2: As, yeah, yeah, so I will be doing that. Uh, like I well, said, you know, I took a lot of inspiration away from this garden in particular. I also
1: I thought, I thought that the going. Japanese garden was particularly beautiful. Oh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, I really yeah. like the Japanese garden. This was the one where we all got together in the morning, and the first thing we did was take the group photo on the lunar lawn, you know. that. So there is a picture of all of us in the fling in this group photo on the Garden Bloggers Fling website, And then we walked around on the, and if you're on that lunar lawn and you look out, you don't actually realize that down below is that Japanese garden. So it's kind of tucked away, but it was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I love that one. There was a lot of statuary
2: too. That's a great photo op and selfie place, that Asian Mm -hmm. garden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a place where any time of year when I visit Hillwood, it's, you know, four seasons, beautiful, and there's always people sitting at the bottom of the waterfall, taking their photo, looking up, or in one of the vignettes. And it's such a tiny space, and it shows you what you can do with small space gardening.
1: Okay. It is. It's a yeah. very small Japanese garden, but it was so well thought out, so well planned. And they said that they had just redone it not that long ago. I also went on the, I don't know if I'm t- saying the right term, but the forest walk where you went mm-hmm. down the hill and around. And I did a live video on Facebook about that. It was kind of fun. Is that what the cemetery was? No, it was on down the hill past the Rose Garden and past the Friendship Walk. Oh, But this pet cemetery, you guys should talk about that. That was different.
0: Yes, they had a little path leading to it, and it had these statues of concrete poodles that were really cute. Yes.
2: I didn't get to see that either. Oh, you didn't? Well,
1: they're little tombstones for the pets. Little little statues that had ivy and other plants there evergreen plants
0: they had the little headstones and they had one that was called Scampy, and then there was a a lassie and there were a few others in there Mm -hmm. marjorie post loved her dogs so she has this pet cemetery that's for all of the pet dogs that she loved throughout her life
2: That's where the Friendship Garden is, which was... The Friendship Garden was dedicated to Marjorie by her friends. And I think all of the things came from gardens elsewhere. And I believe there was the ivy that's coming from Buckingham Palace or somewhere in England. And Mm. the little touches like that from friends around the world. And then you walk back into a kind of a secluded... pet garden with the little headstones for all of her little puppies that she loved throughout the years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: For That's animal right. lover, it's, it's a really nice touch for animal lovers.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of things to see yeah. in that okay. in that garden.
0: Well, and this garden yeah. is such a great example of what what happens when you have a hundred garden bloggers descend on a space because it was so big, there was there's no possible way that you could see it all and really take everything mm-hmm. in. So the wonderful thing about attending the fling is that, you start to see the posts, all of these blog posts roll in, and you can see the garden through the perspective of all of these bloggers that have you know, gone through it. There was a really great one by Helen Battersby up in Toronto Gardens, and she wrote a post about the cutting garden, and her observation, I think she called this one, let me see here, it's called a cunning plan for your cutting garden. And so we're all standing there and and just loving this cutting garden, clearly, right? We all think it was fantastic. And what Helen noticed is that at each of the corners, wherever these mass plantings of these annuals and perennials were planted, they had put four stakes, so a stake in each of the corners, and then they had attached a netting, that went over these plants and the netting could be raised as the plants were growing, but the plants had to grow through the netting. They had no choice. Mm -hmm. And that's what made that cutting garden look so fantastic. Everybody was standing up straight. The flowers looked amazing. And then of course they did something that is just so wonderful is they used wood chips for their paths in between each of these rows. So it was very neat. It looked. I think that's, that netting is what made it look so spectacular.
1: Yeah, and they can take the wood chips and then turn them into the garden beds at the end of the year, probably, mm-hmm. and then let them yeah. decompose.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. And then netting is really helpful for cutting, when you're coming along and cutting a big swath, which the bouquets inside are around 100 blossoms each, so they're not just ones or two that they're coming along and cutting, and it keeps it off the ground for when you have one of those horrible hailstorms or a thunderstorm comes through and knocks all your beautiful flowers into the mud. Yeah. The netting is a real help for that. Mm -hmm. This is Tanya. Did you all notice the cute little teepees that they had in rows that was used as a support for the vining? (laughs) Yeah. That was really, they were made out of, I think those were bamboo. Bamboo. Repurposing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, there it is. What did you guys think about the greenhouse? I am, you know, I, I don't know if I should have known, but I wasn't aware of um, flowers that are called fuchsia. So when I was in the greenhouse, I actually saw a number of those and then coincidentally met the two bloggers from, I think their blog is Fuchsia in the City, I think. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm yeah so that was pretty interesting um and, and just you know I was opening up to a whole world of flowers um you know within that future category
1: well, that's the great history of greenhouses. you know the whole reason that greenhouses came into being was so people could grow stuff outside their zone and because mm-hmm. plant hunters needed somewhere to bring their their things and they Greenhouses, of course, had their big moment, you know, in England and they were Victorian and then that spread over to the United States. So it makes sense that you would find a whole class of things that would just perish in zone seven.
2: Yeah. For us, the the fuchsia just kind of melts away with (laughs) summer and then in, and then the winter time, of course unless we have a really mild winter, they don't really winter over forest, except for as a house plant or greenhouse plant, of course.
0: Tanya, I love that you're learning about fuchsias from fuchsias in the city, from that website.
2: That's fantastic. <laughs> I know, perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But so what yeah. other part of the garden would they be in, other than, than the greenhouse where the fuchsias are, right? Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. And
2: I do have one other plant note that bloggers kind of went crazy over in the hillwood garden was the rose garden there was a climbing rose which looked like an heirloom type rose with a big white open face and i was there a couple of the bloggers are rosarians and they had quite the discussion about what roses was and still weeks later nobody has a definitive id on this rose
1: yeah, that was a tough one. That, I, I didn't hear them talking about it, but I wondered about that rose, too.
2: Yeah, it was spectacular. I think it had really nice... And then I thought, well, if these rosarians who collect all these roses don't know it, then... And there was no label, and I've written to the Hillwood staff to ask, but still a mystery.
1: I bet they know. I bet the staff knows. But you know what? Some roses, if it's an old one, it may have been collected from somewhere. And then they do their own cuttings. It's a, it'll be an interesting mystery to solve, Kathy. Mhm.
2: Yeah, and I think maybe it was gifted, you know, like all of us have gotten past long plants that we just don't know the lineage of. We just call it grandma's plant or <laughs> yes. you know, my na- yeah. my neighbor's yeah. rose rose. Exactly. So the name is kind of lost to history in that in those cases. And
1: but it, sometimes those are our favorite plants in the garden because they're about memory.
2: Yeah. Exactly. That is very true.
1: I think, wasn't there a person from Heartwood Roses um, there? So that's the great thing about this fling is that you Mm -hmm. meet people who are specialized in certain plants. So you could, if you had a rose question, you could ask them or like, if I grew fuchsias and I had a fuchsia problem, now I know who to contact. So you meet people and you, you know, you, you meet them one-on-one, you know about them through Twitter or blogging or whatever, but then you meet them and it's a whole different dimension. And then, you know, if you had a question about that plant, you can contact them And the other thing about Hillwood is that's where we had our lunch in the, um, we had a box lunch. And so we were able to sit down with other people and get to know them even better. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing I liked about the fling is that you were getting to know people. The people mm-hmm. behind the blog and people behind the Twitter or whatever it was
0: yep when I was in the Rose That's garden true. I got to meet Jason and Judy from Garden in a city the blog out of Chicago Chicago and, yeah mm-hmm. and that was fun I didn't realize they were a husband and wife team oh and, yeah I
1: love them yeah oh. and she takes the pictures oh, and he that. does
0: yeah, yeah she takes the pictures and he does the writing and so I thought oh what a <laughs> great combination
2: mm-hmm. yeah they were a lot of fun a lot of fun. And I think um, you know, Peggy, you were alluding to, you know, being able to meet so many of the, you know, the people that we sort of like, quote unquote know on Instagram or Facebook, so as a first-time flinger, um, you know, not really being um, in any other, you know, big garden circles, um, it was great for me because, you know, just like Dee and you know Pam Panic and um, Angie from the Freckled Rose. It was just so many individuals that I had connected with online. So it was just really nice to meet them in person. As well as, you know, meeting new people, you know, like you were just talking about fishing the city, because now you know I'm able or, or more comfortable, should I say, reaching out to those individuals because, you know, now I sort of really feel like I know them. So that was a huge benefit or takeaway from this thing for me as a first-timer.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Uh, I think sitting with somebody, I try really hard to sit with somebody different every day on the bus. And sometimes even between events on the bus, that was something I learned from Garden Writers Association and I've met so many people because of that and between that and I try to sit with different people at each meal. You know, so that mm-hmm. you can just meet lots of, lots of friends and you find out pretty quickly that you know them from being online. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, you know, and this was something I was thinking about, you know, again, this is my first swing, So I don't know if other swings incorporate um, as much riding, um, you know, for this. We were, you know, covering D.C., Virginia, Maryland. So we did spend a, you know, a fair amount of time on buses. So, you know, to your point, D, that was a great opportunity to sit with someone new and actually have a conversation. You know, again, for other flings, you know, I don't know if there's there's much time for riding, so maybe there are other opportunities to really connect with new people but for this being on the bus was, was a prime chance for me to to meet and talk to new people yep absolutely and i was gonna point out yeah there's one thing that surprised me of the hundred bloggers there i would say that there was maybe five males so it was definitely feminine heavy energy It was good to see that there was some representation from men because I thought for a minute when we, the first evening when we were checking in, it was all female. (laughs) Uh Yeah, and it's funny because for me in my, in the local gardening world, it's pretty much 50-50 as far as men in garden clubs and active behind the scenes in gardening. But maybe just not as social or maybe not blogging, but maybe that's a topic for a whole other podcast another time. that's an-
1: inter- that would be an interesting podcast. I would say it's different in Oklahoma. It's more female heavy, but there are quite a few guys in the club mm-hmm. and then yeah, I think urban, there are more guys, more rural, there seem to be more women. but you know, did anybody go into the Hillwood house to see anything in the house, or was everybody out in the garden?
2: Yeah, I went in for just a short bit because it's one of my favorite historic kitchens. It's like late 1950s in a little snapshot. (laughs) I always like to go in there and check it out and see all the the old-fashioned kitchen instruments and and the big old stove and stuff. But um, I think it was just a matter of time pressure that we weren't there. We were there only for a morning, and to do the house would take another hour.
1: Yeah, there was a gift shop too. I know some people got things at the gift shop, and that was another kind of fun thing for people who are out of town. They they go in the gift shop and they get something like they do at the Smithsonian. They go in the gift shop and they get some, which would have never occur to me because I live here. But it was. I was just wondering if anybody there was a house to also visit and a gift shop. But so it's not just the garden; it was the huge estate. Mm-hmm. But, of course, everybody was taking pictures in the guards. And um, I know that's going to be another topic later on about the cameras that we use. But that was the yeah. other thing I noticed is people walking around with these big professional cameras. And I'm just using my little iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know. Well, I tell you what. I I thought with this particular garden, too, that and this whole day, actually, there was so much statuary at mm-hmm. each of the venues on day <laughs> one. But especially Hillwood. I mean, Hillwood is just so rich. And Laura Wills, I think, was also a new, uh, garden blogger there from Wills Family Acres. And she did, her first post about the fling was simply called Concrete, Garden Bloggers Fling DC. And she did a great job of pulling together images of the wonderful statuary at all of these gardens. And I remember I was walking across the lunar lawn after our picture there at Hillwood, the huge uh, group picture. And I was walking next to Jen McGinnis, Frau Zinni, and I said, are those lady sphinxes? <laughs> Did you guys see those? They had these.
2: Oh, those were crazy. Yeah, the oh my gosh, yes. Yeah,
0: these beautiful French women, right? They're gorgeous faces. And then they're attached to the body of a lion. I'd never seen anything it, like that. Apparently, it's very common in French uh, <laughs> gardening. I, I'd never, I didn't know that.
1: Well, who knew? I've, <laughs> all the gardens I've seen, I've never seen, you know, 18th century French women on lions before. No. Okay. Yeah. That's one thing I did learn from the sling, though, is that how important it is to have um, statuary and things in the garden that are not plants, that they really add to it. It makes me feel like I need to add more of that in my garden. Okay. They're just It seems like they're just as important as the plants. And it was even more noticeable in the other gardens that we went to later on. Yeah. And they offer winter interest, which, you know, when the plants go down, especially in a cottage garden, they, right, right, right. those focal points are important. hmm mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Well, they had those wonderful cherubs That were holding these orbs. And then around the orb was the zodiac, all the symbols of the zodiac. Those I thought were very striking. They were on either side of that mansion in the back. And I took a lot of pictures of those. I thought they were great. But yeah, there was, I mean, there was so much at Hillwood for statuary, and it was, it was not attainable. I mean, those were total specimens that were totally fitting for that estate. And your jaws just hanging open. I mean, some of them were gold gilded and just absolutely spectacular but it's the Hillwood experience. You're not going to come home and, you know, have French women
1: <laughs> on lions. Are you, You're not are you have trying babies. to say that Ms. Post was wealthier than we are so kind of Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well she was a little rich. <laughs> she was a little yeah. rich. Well and you know I think she had some money. She did.
0: <laughs> but you know, I was listening to this woman when I was sitting in the Rose Garden with Jason and Judy from Garden in a City and we were getting to know each other, there happened to be a tour going by. And one of the women that was leading this tour was explaining that Miss Post was one of the most, well, she was, I think at the time, the wealthiest woman in the world. So she's the female equivalent of Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. And yet she could not vote. She's, you know, she had many things that she wanted to do, but because she was a woman, she was not able to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. She was a very influential in spite of the limitations, you yes. know. She was very influential and she threw great parties. And that's what the House was made for, too. It was a very interesting tour, isn't mm-hmm. it?
2: Yeah, she definitely was all about influencing DC society and also to note that this is a garden later in her life. Like she'd already built and done several gardens and this was the last and she knew that in the planning of it that it would become a public garden and that she would leave an endowment for it. So I think that's also what makes it kind of a perfect little public garden is when you know, when it's not just an accident or that when your heirs run out of money, but you plan for the future and you plan it to be a welcoming place for guests to come and see the gardens in future generations. Yeah.
1: That is very interesting. That's why it was so good for the first morning is because they have a visitor center and they had the cafe. We could do the box lunch and they have the gift shop. They have everything for people, you know, for for 100 garden bloggers. They had everything for us right then and there. Mm-hmm. So it was a good first morning. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, great kickoff. Well, after Hillwood, remember after Hillwood, I think we went in two different directions. So some people went to the Franciscan Monastery first and some people went to the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So we split it up.
0: And we did that primarily just to manage the large groups that we didn't have overwhelming right, right. groups that we, you know, that we could take yeah. half of half one place and half another. But everybody got to see everything just maybe in a different order. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, let's go on to the Franciscan Monastery. The Franciscan Monastery is described as an oasis of peace, and it includes over a thousand roses and perennials and annuals. It also offers grottoes, sculptures and a chapel. And the day of our visit, we had this gorgeous blue sky that was the perfect backdrop to the church and the walls of the monastery. And we had ample time to walk through the century-old gardens with the replicas of the sacred shrines and all of the native plants. What were your thoughts on the gardens of the Franciscan Monastery?
1: Mrs. D. I'm Catholic. So it was very meaningful for me on a couple of different levels. And I've been to a lot of monasteries and I find that they're all peaceful. This is a Franciscan one, which is the Society of Saint Francis. I liked how it was very universal, not to get all religious on people, but the word Catholic means universal. And so I don't know if you guys noticed that there was that one LA that you walked under. And they had the Hail Mary in every language. I mean, languages that I've not even ever seen before. So I thought that was particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. It is a very yeah, quiet space. Yeah. We could just sit there and reflect. And uh, it's also two levels. When you first come in, there's a top level that's full sun with the roses. And then you can go down to like a shady level with grottos. And there's also the Stations of the Cross. So I could see how if I lived within walking distance of that area, I could just walk over there and just sit and contemplate.
2: It's very peaceful. That's what I took away. It was very peaceful. And it was funny, when I was looking through my photos, I didn't actually take any photos while I was there. I did a lot of walking. You know, I did sit, you know, like could said, in peaceful reflection. So I think for me, it was just too peaceful to disturb with trying to take, take a picture. But, you know, again, that's just my, my view, but... I was really surprised, like I said, when I looked back and I got taken a single photo. So, I, you know, I was just walking. I was just soaking it all in, reflecting. And I will say I did not go into any of the grottoes. I was a little afraid to go inside. When I got to one, no one was in there. So I just kind of kept on going. Um, <laughs> what about you? Not your minutes? thing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you go inside yeah. one? <laughs>
1: you know, actually, I went to this garden twice. Well, because it's a long story, but one of our friends wanted me to go inside the church with her, and so I did that. And then, so I missed all of the down, the part that was down below. So when we were at the mall, after I did what I wanted to do at the mall, I got on the other bus and came back after I let everybody know what I was doing. You, if you ever do that on a fling, let your bus captain know, because... Otherwise, they're trying to count you, and they can't find you, and it freaks them out. Exactly. So I let them know. I got back on the bus and went back and then did the lower part. So I felt like, and that was interesting. It wasn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be, but I, I liked the upper garden better, personally.
2: This is Kathy. D. did you do the guided tour of the inside of the church and the grottoes from the inside, or you just did it on your own?
1: Well, we were going to go in there and do it on our own, but there was a docent, and we were like, well, we only have five minutes, and he said, I'll give you the five-minute tour. So we did. We ran through the grottos, but I'm just okay. joking. We really didn't. But, yeah, we actually had somebody help us, and so that did help you to understand why they built the church the way they did. Um, okay. It was it's all built on the Holy Land, and it was built in, eighteen. I, want, I may get this wrong, but I want to say 1899, and they um, were trying to educate people about the Holy Land. So there was a stable, um, the stable of Bethlehem. There were glottos based on all of those things, and it kind mm-hmm. of reminded me of the churches I saw in Italy, so that was interesting, too.
2: Yeah, they're trying to recreate the exact, like the Garden of Gethsemane and the exact places... For a hundred years yes. ago with obviously that was pre air travel. You weren't going to be making a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, but you could make a pilgrimage to D C and come. But yeah.
1: Right, which was very interesting. It was an educational purpose thing. And think about it, there weren't even that many pictures. There weren't that many photographs. So it was the way to teach. Same thing with stained glass windows. It's the same idea. But I liked that it was grottoes. I'd never seen that before. The other yes. thing to point out is that there were only 45 minutes allowed for this one, whereas there were several hours mm-hmm. for Hillwood. So you have to know that there's the time allotted for each one is different for people who will be listening to this podcast. Right, because it depends on what you're interested in. I also went back and looked at the, the front garden that was sunny that had all the daylilies and the roses and all of that, and I thought that was really beautiful. What did yes, you guys I- think?
2: I think the the rose collection has been redone in the last few years, so it's, it's really nice now. It had kind of gone down for a couple years. The highlight, if you'd ever come back to the Franciscan Monastery, is to come during Easter when all the masses of bulbs are timed exactly every year to bloom on Easter. So wow. Imagine where all the annuals were around the roses, all the begonias and other plants. Those are tulips. In different color combinations,
1: that would be extraordinary. Yeah, and in the way back, there's a gift shop, and beyond that is like a vegetable herb garden. Mm-hmm. So I went back to go look at the herb garden, and they make their own honey, and mm-hmm. they also sell herbs in the spring. So it's very active actually in the community. They have workshops and classes, and people who help to volunteer. It's very much alive. It so- is, and, and most monasteries are set up that way. They're often they're self sufficient. Mm -hmm. And they often have apiaries and vegetable gardens and things like that, especially Mm -hmm. Franciscan and Benedictine ones. So that's that's an interesting aspect, too. And the
2: one thing that they've added in the last few years that's captivated a lot of people and I think would appeal to our garden blogger audience out there, garden writers, is there's a little tiny building that you can rent in the back just for a weekend at a time, and it's completely Mm -hmm. cut off. There's electricity. But you, there's no Wi-Fi, and it's just meant for a weekend of contemplation or writing or getting that project done that you haven't been doing. So I wouldn't say you're a hermit, but you're definitely in a peaceful, quiet place that you don't feel like you have to answer the phone or kids are banging on the bathroom door. So I have that so morning. it would be a
1: good, it would be like an yeah. artist in residence kind of thing where you get yeah. to be off and do finish that book
2: or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just do a retreat for your mind for a weekend or so.
1: I could use a retreat.
2: I love Anything. that. I second at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought like all the flyers is to catch up, just bring your laptop and sit there for 48 hours and contemplate the beauty.
0: Well, when I think of the monastery, I think of that covered portico that was all the mm-hmm. way around, and it, and it had those columns with the arches, they call it the rosary portico. And when I was first there, that's that's literally all I did is I just stood in the portico at different points and looked at the garden because it surrounds the garden. It was just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's so many wonderful pictures that people took of the garden, of the flowers, looking at it through the portico. It just was absolutely glorious.
1: It definitely framed the view. Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's a bad photo you can take there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it does show you that enclosure in a garden can sometimes really help the perspective. Because imagine that rose garden or a big open rose garden in a field, it just wouldn't have the same feel.
1: No, and enclosure is one of the great things that came from the very earliest gardens, both Islamic and monastic gardens. Um, they both had a sense of enclosure, and they were the first ones to do it. So it's it's cool to see it still then.
0: Yes, that's correct. Well, should we move on to our next venue? That was a stop at the National Mall with a goal of seeing some of the Smithsonian gardens. And then the U.S. Botanic Garden. And the planners of the Fling had lined up a few special things for us to see. The first was we could pay a visit to the Archives of American Gardens. And we had kind of a backstage pass there. We could get a special overview of the collection and what they were working on. And we also had the opportunity to see any number of the 12 Smithsonian Gardens that line the National Mall, including meeting Janet Draper, who tends the Mary Livingston Ripley Garden. Peggy, do you want to walk us through some of the things that you had in mind when you guys put this stop together? Because there was so much to see and do here.
1: Okay, and we did allow a couple of hours for the Smithsonian or for the National Mall, and the buses dropped us off, and on the bus you got a map of the area because the buses were going to drop us off in one place and pick us up on another place, but you had the option of just going to the Smithsonian Museums if you wanted to, but you could also go to many little pocket gardens that are on the Mall, and then you could have also gone to the U.S. Botanic Garden, Uh, but some people... Want to go to the Archives of American Gardens, which was an exhibit. Um, we could have gone to see that, which I did, and I think you did too. But we went into like an office space, and we went to see the Archives of American Gardens where they were talking about how they archive um, slides and photos and things like that. They have over 100,000 photographic images and records that document the historic and contemporary gardens throughout the United States. So the lady gave us a really nice presentation about that. And garden bloggers and writers can actually use these images if they request them and they get the permission. And they said they started off because they had gotten a donation of glass, hand-colored glass lantern slides from the, what was it, the uh, Garden Center? It was the Garden Club of America donated all these slides. And we were actually able to see one of these slides, which is yes. fascinating because you know, you, you, there's, they don't make them anymore. You know? it's just, it just doesn't exist anymore. But wasn't that a fascinating presentation that she gave us? I
2: was going to say, this is Kathy. I think uh, I was on the bus that arrived at the Smithsonian and National Hall first, and about 12 of us trotted up to the archives offices. And what I was just fascinated by was some of the seed catalog art and the old-fashioned seed packets and the Burpee photo collection that they have.
1: Mm -hmm. They have that, too. And all of this is really good information if you're writing and posting on the Internet because you can use all these images. But the way that they're um, preserving all these private gardens, they're preserving private gardens that, you know, as nature takes over, you know, the weeds take over, they're gone, the people die, and then the gardens just disappear. So it's great that they're preserving all these historic private gardens, but they're also documenting community gardens. It's another project of theirs where they're documenting community gardens, and anybody can write about their own garden, to the Smithsonian and have it, you know, preserved that way. I didn't know that. Yeah. That either. is cool.
2: Yeah. And I, I wasn't able to, you know, partake in that part of the um, tour, but I live close enough where I could definitely try to do that on another visit. Cause I could see you could mm-hmm. just spend hours there. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and the cool part of our tour, Peggy, was that at the very end, Uh, She said, do you want to go into the cold storage room with me and take a look at some of those old glass lantern slides? And we're all like, yeah, we want to do that. (laughs) So she takes us (laughs) into this tiny little room and she's got the white gloves on. It's the whole thing. It's very Indiana Jones like experience. And she's pulling this (laughs) box out and it's got these glass lantern slides. And she'd been telling us about them. And so, you know, you kind of, in your mind, you're imagining, okay, yeah, they're hand-painted, yada, 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 and then you see this slide, and the slide is maybe two inches by three inches. It's not very big at all. So the fact that they, somebody sat there and painted this thing, and the it's so vivid. And the other thing I thought that was amazing about this particular collection is that they had pictures of these gardens over time. So they could see what the garden had looked like when it was first started. And then they had images that would show this is what this magnificent garden looked like 25 years later. It it was just mind-blowing to see. But it was a highlight of the tour for me was to really get the behind the scenes about what they're doing here. And then just the fact that you can submit your own garden. If you want the Smithsonian to archive your own garden, there's a way to do that. You can submit photos of your own garden and they will archive it for you.
1: That's so that's, cool. That's why I did it, is because it was um, a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me even though I live here. And I've, already, I've already seen all the other, you know, the gardens. But that's why I did that. But there were, in addition to that, there were many beautiful gardens to see on the mall But that was a fascinating experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, um, this is Tanya. I, um, hooked up with a group and we actually went through, I think it's 12 gardens, um, the, you know, wow. the, the Smithson. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we were hyping it. Yeah, <laughs> <So>, uh, <laughs> you know, we only, we only spent, you know, a couple of minutes and some, um, but the Victory Garden and, um, the Ripley Garden, you know, of course we spent a little bit more time, but we did fit all 12 gardens that were on the, um, On the list, Um, and that was pretty pretty amazing. And of the you know of all twelve, the the Victory Garden was definitely my favorite because again you know I am more of a a edible and pollinator gardener, so that little section was was really cool to me. Dee, where did you go when you were
1: at the Smithsonian? I went to the Mary Livingston Ripley Garden and to the U.S. Botanical Garden, and I also went to the oh I can't think of her name, the Enid, the one that's behind the yeah that one I went to all three of those Mhm, and I kind of was by myself um which was kind of neat too. I don't know. I just had a good time walked around i've been I've been to the Smithsonian Gardens several times, so I kind of hit my highlights because i. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and this is Tanya. Um, I've been before, too, um, but when I went, I had my family, and they were not as interested in seeing all the gardens <laughs> as I was. So, um, you know, the swing again was really nice for me because I was with like minded people who wanted to see you know all of the gardens that they had to offer um like I said my family was mm-hmm. not so enthused about doing that um, so you know, we saw all twelve and we did um you know get to the um to the botanical garden, so that was really nice too, but by the time I got there i mean my my feet and legs were really worn out um but it it was, yeah. it was a
1: great... can we just talk about how hot it was that day, that one day <laughs>
2: oh, it was oh, yeah. It was hot
1: fun. and humid. You know, we may all be in the same 7A, 7B, but it's really humid there. And I my little buns were dragging by the time we got to the botanical garden. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just sat in the shade and took some pictures. And actually, I sat with Michelle Chapman, who does veg plotting. She's from England. And we've become very good friends over the years. And so... We sat and talked for a while and puttered around the U.S. Botanical mm-hmm. Garden for a while. That time was the only worst weather time, and every other day was gorgeous.
2: Every oh, other yeah. day
1: was beautiful, yeah.
2: I we drank more day. water that day than any other day, probably. Everyone right, right. So
1: the water. Lots so of water pretty. and dressing for... You know, you've got... I think that's one of the things we can stress is that you really need to look at the forecast close up to the fling wherever you go in the country and dress accordingly and try, the hard part is trying to figure out, is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Those kinds of things. But try to take cool clothes in a very hot right. climate.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, having sleeves is more helpful. If it's light colored because um, I think that really saved me that day. I had, you know, I just maybe a three-quarter length, just tan color cotton, a little shirt on. And it just kept the sun from, from burning my arms. hmm yeah, was, and that was at, at the end was, of the day too. So that was the hottest yeah. point of the day. Yeah. yeah, I think two to four uh, on the National Mall with not, not that much shade was, is definitely exposing you to the worst of the DC weather, but also typical DC weather for the summer.
1: <laughs> we were lucky the rest of the week.
2: Yeah. It was much nicer. Yep. Yeah. And a little bit of yeah. a breeze. Yeah. We
1: probably should talk. I mean, what I've seen on people's mm-hmm. blogs, was a lot of a lot of references to the Mary Livingston Ripley Garden. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, and we That's got my to meet, favorite
1: one. Yeah. Yes, and
0: we got to meet Janet Draper, and she's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. head gardener. She tends that garden, and I loved mm-hmm. that. I mean, I know we just walked through. We were walking through it as a pathway to get from one end of the Smithsonian to the other, so we could make our way to the archives. So we didn't have a ton of time there, but I loved the living wall. They had a really great living wall with sedum, and they also had a fantastic bee habitat. Mm -hmm. They did a great job with that. And of course, all the plantings were wonderful, but I loved that garden.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my favorite garden, but I think we were losing people as we were walking through there to get to the archives building. I think we just kept losing people because they (laughs) wanted to stay in that garden, you know. There's so much to see. There's so much to take. So many different kinds of plants
2: tucked in there.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And is is this where um, I think the giant hibiscus? Flowers were, I mean, they were the size of a, a dinner plate. Yes. They were, they were just striking. You know, North Carolina, we see hibiscus, you know, everywhere, but I've never seen any, the color. Um, and the size of the ones that, that were in the Ripley Garden.
0: Well, and even yes. as I was preparing to talk to you gals this morning, I was looking on their website, and Janet had a video where she was walking folks through, I think it's the Dutchman's pipe was the plant, that, the specimen that she was showing people. But it said right before that video that her mission is to help people expand their plant palette. And first of all, oh. everything in there was labeled wonderfully. But I think that's what she was doing in there is the specimens that she had picked. You know, there were just some real novel selections in that garden. Yeah. It was just so well done,
2: though. It was beautiful. Yeah, I think the yeah. garden It's so inspiring, the combinations she does there and the unusual tropicals that she manages to squeeze it all in there.
0: But I agree with you, Tanya. we I had gone to D.C. two years uh, prior to this. And, well, actually, in last year, we went briefly, too, for a gopher trip. But anyway, long story short, both times we had the kids with us. And on my Mm -hmm. list of things to visit was Hillwood and the Franciscan Monastery because they get high ratings on TripAdvisor. And then as we were distilling down, you know, what we're going to do with the kids, my husband's like, honey, they're not going to want to do that. And so (laughs) they, I didn't get to do that. So when I was calling home and telling my family what I was doing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting to see all the things I wanted to see. You know, when we came to DC two years ago and now I get to see them and it felt so indulgent because it was truly, you know, just a gardener's paradise, you know, going through DC and focusing on gardening. It was really, really nice but I mean if you're a gardener and you're thinking about coming to DC then absolutely these things are fantastic I think I think Hillwood would have intrigued the kids especially like the Japanese garden when you could have you can walk through you've got those steppers across all of the water features and you know it's so extravagant I think it makes it very interesting I don't know that they would have enjoyed the monastery I think they would have gotten tired from all the walking along the mall they'd rather do air and space or something Mm -hmm. like that.
2: Right. And that's generally what my family likes to do. Or, you know, they may allow me to do one or two gardens, but
0: that's kind of the math. My son is like, really, Mom? Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But that's why this is sort of like a vacation. This is the garden. This is a gardener's vacation, you know, the gardeners get to do what they want to do, you know, and... so, I got up really early to go to the hotel and I came home really late. And I told my husband that's the way it's going to be. Sorry, I won't be here for a while.
0: <laughs> now, did any Definitely. of you see the gardens outside of other venues? There was the museum, was it the Natural History Museum? Which one did you mm-hmm. go to, Peggy? You split off from us a little bit on our way back. I can't remember what you went to see. Oh, there we some were going to go. We were
1: going to the. We were uh, a bunch of us were trying to go by the National Museum of the American Indians because they were going to have some native plants there, and we did. We walked by and in front of the museum. They have, you know, the the corn and the tobacco, huge tobacco leaves and corn and things like that. So we were looking at those plants, and then we we went to the U.S. Botanic Garden and we went into um, the Botanic Garden and we uh, it's because it, it's a big glass building, and of course they had the restrooms and the water fountains and all that stuff and. And then we went over to the the National Gardens, which are outside, all the plants that were outside. So Mm -hmm. that's where we stayed, and that's where we ended up, because that's where the bus was going to pick us up.
2: And just coincidentally, that day on the mall, the USDA headquarters had their annual pollinator festival. So some of us flipped down the mall, especially people like Claire, um... who's from Baltimore, and blogs about honeybees. I know she ran down there and was able to get a bunch of story leads from some of the booths there where they had entomologists from the Smithsonian and different federal departments. And they had free ice cream, which I had just missed when I arrived (laughs) on that hot day. But they do have a little small demonstration people's garden in front of the USDA headquarters as well. That was that's always nice to see fronting on the National Mall. Ten years ago, that did not exist.
1: You would not have found
2: one vegetable. Yeah, no vegetables on the National Mall, and it's so nice to see like both American history with the Victory Garden and tucked in in some of the ornamental gardens. Many more edibles these days. This is Tanya. Um, I don't think we've mentioned that we were at the Fling during National Pollinator Week, which Mm -hmm. this year was June 20th through the 26th. So, yeah, uh, you know, it was awesome, um, to just, you know, see all of the pollinator friendly plants that were incorporated into so many of the, you know, the private and public gardens.
1: Yeah, we also made, a, um, I know as I, as bus captain, I did point out that USDA farmers market with the pollinator festival, but then also when we went to another garden, they had the wings of fancy, the butterfly exhibit at Brookside Gardens. I pointed that out too because that was a perfect photo op. To take pictures of butterflies landing on you. You know, if you wanted to get on that hashtag for Pollinator Week.
0: Well, why don't we transition? That was really that was really it. When we wrapped up at the Botanic Garden, that that's where the buses picked us up. Then we were able to come back to the hotel, which, by the way, we stayed at the Hyatt Regency in Reston, Virginia. Loved that hotel and loved that location because. We were right by this town center shopping area that was wonderful. There was a Starbucks nearby. If people want to stay there, they'll know they're near a Starbucks. I always like to know where the Starbucks is relative to the hotel. And it was just great. There were so many options. What did you guys do for dinner that night?
1: Well, Tammy had actually reserved a table at a restaurant, like an Italian-style restaurant. But then she didn't go, so then a bunch of us just went to go take a reservation. (laughs) And I had never been there before, but... it was very different. It was good. But what I liked about it is that it was a chance to sit down and talk with all, with a bunch of other people, you know, and get to know them better. So I thought that was cool. I think we sat with Janet Ledebure, the Queen of Seaford, Susie Moffat, PBM Garden, Terry Spite, who's another bus captain, Julie Thompson, Adolf Garden Delights, and Ken Walton of Wabash Valley Farms.
0: Nice. What would you do for dinner that night, Dee?
1: What did I do for dinner that night? I don't remember, guys. <laughs> Friday night <laughs> when everybody got home from the Botanic, from the Smithsonian, and we I think of- I collapsed into a <laughs> heap. <laughs> oh, I remember now. I remember what I did. Okay, did I went out know? with th- I went out with three friends to Monta Gabby. Did you guys talk about how we were in this kind of outdoor shopping mall? That the hotel was kind of a unconstructed shopping mall, and yes. there was shops everywhere and restaurants. Well, we went to one of the restaurants. It was Monami Gabby, and it was very good. I went with Gail um, Eichelberger from Clan Limestone and Elizabeth Licata from Garden Rant and uh, Jean McQueenie. Nice.
0: Well, garden blogging for most folks starts out as a hobby. So I'm curious, how did each of you Start your garden blog.
1: Well, I can go first. I started 10 years ago. I went to my very first Garden Writers Association meeting in Oklahoma City, and they had their very first um, discussion on blogging. And there were some things that were said at it. Dave Perry was there, and Kathy who Kathy Purdy, who writes Cold Climate Gardening, and Marian Newcomer. And Dave Perry is a photographer's garden blog and Marianne Newcomers is um, Gardens of the Wild Wild West. And so they were they were already blogging and um, they talked about, you know, one because I wrote for magazines and um, other local places and I a region, and regional magazines. And so, you know, when you write for magazines, you write for editors. And I wanted to write for myself. And there was something in particular that David said about blogging that made me actually cry. Oh. And so I came right home, and I started a blog the next like two in the next two weeks. That's how I got started. Wow. This is Peggy. I guess I'm sort of like Dee, too. I was writing for magazines, and they were long articles, and so I decided I'm just going to write for myself through this website. So it's it's just it's no different than writing. It's just writing. It's just a different media. You know, it's it's writing, but through a different mechanism, and then you can pick and choose what you like to talk about. You know. And you can pick and choose your own pictures, and you have much more control over it. Mhm. And if you want to say, like, I wrote a post this week about how garden to, because my garden was just on tour before we went to the Garden Water Fling, and I said, you know, tour gardens are like pageant pageant contestants, pageant girls, and I wouldn't be able to write that kind of an article for a magazine.
0: I read that, Dee, and I loved it. In fact, I I talked about it in this episode that's coming out this Friday because oh, i thanks. thought yeah i did i put it so it's an episode 576 so if folks are listening in order they'll be like oh yeah we we talked about that in the garden news roundup last week but i loved it because for anyone who's ever had their garden be part of a tour or tried to get their garden ready for friends and family or a big event whether it's a wedding or a graduation it is stressful like crazy
1: it is and the the blog post actually came out of the tour somebody said that, you know, does it who who does this garden for you? Somebody said that, and I said nobody. I do this garden, <laughs> and I and then I laughed and I said, but it doesn't always look like this. You know, yeah. gardens on tour are perfection, yeah. or at least as close as human beings can get to it. Exactly. So that's what it came out of. And see, you can't write those kind of articles. I think that's one of the great things about blogging, is that it can be really spontaneous sometimes. Yes. Right. And so, in the moment, you know, you're doing something like you, I was digging up some perennial onions. And so I thought, oh, this would be a great post. And so I took some pictures and I'll write this post about perennial onions, which has to be right in and now. But if you did it for a magazine, it wouldn't get posted until or published until six months from now, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> They'd say, why? Who cares about perennial onions? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the truth is, especially with national magazines, if you write for national magazines, Sometimes your stuff never gets published and you get the right. kill fee. And so you put a lot of work into it. And, and that's, that's not a complaint. It's just the way the w- business works.
2: Um, this is Tanya. Um, I had a, a different start. I really started um, just as a creative outlet. Um, like Peggy, you know, I also have a full-time job. So, you know, life can get pretty stressful and, you know, I have a family and aging parents and, you know, the same obstacles that, you know, most of us have. So yeah. yeah, it was a creative outlet for me. Um, and then, you know, also, um, you know, I think, to, you know, what you are just saying, you can you can help people and communicate information in real time. Um, and that was also something I wanted to do because um, my blog is is about helping people see how things grow. So, you know, I like Peggy. I can be doing something in the garden, like, oh, I'm sure someone else has a question about this, um, and can just, you know, take a couple of photos, write a blog post, and boom, you know, the information is out into the world to to help someone. Um, so that's really how I started. I mean, I, a couple years ago, um, focusing on gardening in, in 2010, and that really is is my my inspiration.
1: That's a great that's a great source of inspiration, and I think all of us are trying to help people. I think that's why we, I think that's why we blog.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's also rewarding, um, you know, a little self-satisfaction if you can answer a question that someone has, you know, it kind of makes you feel good too.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, the other skill that most garden bloggers practice is photography. So where are you guys at in terms of mastery of photography?
1: <laughs> mastery? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I said before, I just use my iPhone. I just use the iPhone and I take pictures with the iPhone. I don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. But I did see a lot of people with the professional, you know, cameras there. And all I could think of was, my gosh, that must be hard to lug that thing around all day long. (laughs) Yeah, I took my little camera this time and I also use my iPhone. The truth is, and this is Dee, the truth is that when I'm at home, I use my really good camera, but I don't like to carry it around. Um, I think it's a Nikon 3100, so it's a big, heavy camera, and, and I take my little white Nikon V2 when I'm out, you know, running around doing touring, um, because you can do a video on it, and you can also take pretty good pictures, and it's a mirrorless one, but the, the honest truth is cameras don't really matter that much. It's all about setting up the shot. I'm no, I'm no master. But I have gone to a lot of different courses with some great photographers and they're helpful. That was one of the books we got in our swag bag and we got a great swag bag with so many things, but one of them was a book about photography. So that's going to be helpful too. Mm -hmm. Uh And that book was also geared toward the um, average enthusiastic gardener, didn't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which all gardeners, all gardeners want to take pictures of their, of their gardens and their ponds and Yep. All the things growing in it. Yep. Mhm.
2: Yeah, this is Tanya. Um, I'm definitely, uh, I, I guess, slash between a beginner and intermediate. <laughs> I'm not a master by any means. Um, but, you know, I use a Nikon D5500. And, I mean, that works well for me. I do take some photos with my, um, with my iPhone because, you know, I have that with me. Uh, all the time. But I do have my my camera with me in the garden most of the time. But that's what I use. Um, and I'm just, you know, reading everything I can read. Um, the Swing was a great opportunity for me to ask some questions, you know, of those other photographers with the big cameras, um, as you say, Peggy, because we really had some experienced folks in our group. Um, and I found that everyone was very helpful, very willing to, you know, answer any questions I had or just, you know, some folks just came up to me and say, Hey, you know, you might want to, you know, do this or you might want to do that, just offering, um, input. So that was really helpful. And I am now flipping through the garden photography book that we got and finding it very useful indeed to your point. It is geared towards the beginner, which is, which is great. So I was really excited to see that in this swag bag.
1: Yeah, I thought it was just for, like, everyone. Everyone who's a gardener, these are ways you can take better shots. And that's something you said about the, gar- the blogging community. I think garden bloggers, as a general rule, are some of the most generous people in the world. And they help each other all the time with all kinds of things. And I love them. I think they're, you know, gardeners, as a general rule, are very generous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. bloggers, even more so. There isn't this attitude of, oh, I have my turf, don't tread on it. Yeah. They Everybody wants to help everyone else.
2: Yep. Yeah, I definitely found that out as a newbie. That was really great. Let's talk a little bit about
0: organizing your materials when you get back. I mean, we get this huge swag bag that's full of all kinds of literature and information and gifts for gardeners. And that's all from the sponsors of the Garden Bloggers so We get a huge bag of that stuff. Plus, we have all of our pictures from the tour. What's your system for coming home and getting back in the real world and making sense of all the materials that you come home
1: with? You don't go back to work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that was my system. I had to take a day of annual leave just to go through all this and just to decompress. It was just so much. It was just so much. Okay, well, some of my stuff is still sitting on a bench in my bedroom. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's and I haven't gotten my pictures out of my camera yet. I'm just being honest. I'll have them out today because we came back and we had a wedding and some other stuff to do. So I did that, and now today I feel like I can actually sit down and really decompress and think about what were my takeaways from this sling and start mm-hmm. to write my post.
0: And mm-hmm. D, out of curiosity, how many pictures do you take? Because I know I was talking to Angie from Angie the Freckled Rose. And I think she takes almost 2,000 pictures a day when wow. she's doing the garden bloggers fling, oh, wow. which is how I am about basketball games. I, I bring my big camera to basketball games. But when I'm in the garden, I'm kind of like Tanya in the sense that I, I lose myself a little bit and I forget to take pictures. And since I just had my rotator cuff surgery, I only brought my iPhone. I didn't want to have my big camera with. And so I got everything accomplished with my iPhone. But I didn't take as many pictures as a result. How about how about what you do, though, Dee? Because you've done this now 10 years, and you did bring your professional camera. So how many pictures do you take well, I, a day? I brought my baby ca-
1: camera. I yeah, brought yeah, my your baby, baby professional yeah, camera. Yeah, I didn't baby bring my big, <laughs> my big Mamu camera. There's no way I'm traveling with that. For one thing, I don't want to break the lens. And I've broken a lens before on on one of the tours that Ugh. was for something else. Um, okay, so I don't take that many. I've been doing this a while, and, you know, I, just, I think I took 600 total. Okay. Because I really wanted to enjoy the gardens, and it used to be that I would just kill myself taking pictures. But as you know, even in a blog post that's picture-heavy like mine are, um, you might use 10 pictures in a blog post if you use galleries. So, you know, and while I'll probably use some of these photos for talks I give, the truth is I won't use that many photos. And plus, I don't want to keep that kind of storage. Does that make sense? Yep. Those are big files. I don't know what kind of camera Angie had, but kudos to her. You know, I assume she exports them to a external drive and all that. But after, I've been doing writing for 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. And that's a lot of pictures. Yep. So, yeah. I, for me, I'm talking about over my career, not about hers. I'm just right. saying, over my career, I have a lot of pictures. So I yes. have to be, I have to be really cheesy now because I I only have so much space.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is Tanya. I took uh, you know across the three days, I took about um, I think about 500 photos. Um, mm-hmm. About 450, 500. Um, I was sitting beside Helen Battersby um, one day on the bus, and she gave me an excellent idea. When we uh, get on the bus, you know, we were given uh, an updated itinerary for the day, so she would take a snapshot picture of where we were going at that particular time, and then you know she would take the pictures when she got there, and did, the I next did. location. Yeah, so that that is such a good idea. Um mm-hmm. What I was doing yeah. was just taking a picture. You know, if there was a entrance sign, I would take mm-hmm. a picture, which works. You know, if you're if you're at a, a public garden, but for the private garden, you know, you really don't want to take you know a picture of someone in front of their house, really. You know,
1: so right. um,
2: I sort of. My system needs some improvement. But, um, you know, if if you can, well, you know, what I see is my biggest challenge, because I'm still going through my pictures, too, is just trying to figure out, okay, this coneflower was at Hillwood or, you know, this coneflower was, you know, at, you know, <laughs> you know somewhere else. But after a while, all coneflowers started to look alike. So uh, I need to improve that. And, you know, I have some ideas, um, you know, to, to make it better for next year's playing. Um, But, you know, to these point, it does take up a lot of lot of space, um, and I'm not sure how many of those pictures I will actually use. So I was mindful, somewhat mindful while I was at the flame to really just take shots that I thought I would use later or that I would need. Um so I did have that in mind just to to save camera space and hard drive space.
1: Hmm. Also, I was sort of double fisting it. so I was using my iPhone and the little camera. I felt like a, a drinker, you know, only I had my camera. And <laughs> nice. the nice thing about your iPhone is if you turn on location services, a lot of times it'll tell you where you are. So at least you know you're in this neighborhood in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, right. So if you accidentally forget to do, because what you're doing by taking a picture of the uh, daily activity, or if you're on a garden tour, you take a picture of a particular address in your program you're doing that placeholder exactly like the way they do in movies. Oh,
0: that's right. Oh, that yeah, you're is right. It. Yeah. You yeah, know, when they yeah. snap, yep.
1: when they snap the thing and they say, scene, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Well, that's, right. you're doing the exact same thing. And I started doing that several years ago because you cannot keep up with all the pictures.
0: No, yeah, you and, can't. no. And on this tour, we didn't get addresses. So we really no, we didn't, didn't have a, No. So we didn't have a sense for where we were. And I really appreciated that part because I noticed that on my iPhone when I got back. It's like, oh, it gives you the address. You know, it tells you you're right here. And I mean, if you had to, you could drive right back there. But that is very handy. You're exactly right. I didn't think about that as far as organizing my pictures, but it's a great way to organize them based on your location. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like that.
2: Yeah. And another point is, um, I know I saw a lot of flingers and I did it myself sort of posting in the moment. So if you are posting to Instagram or um, Facebook while you're at the garden, you really do need to take the picture on your phone so you can, you know, quickly upload it to your social media as opposed to having to, you know, once you get in the hotel later, transfer pictures from your camera. So it was um, a good idea to have, you know, pictures on your phone and your camera while you were in the actual garden.
1: Yeah. Right. That's yeah. true. We had a hashtag. Uh, we used hashtag uh, GDFling2017. So people were doing it in the moment, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and I appreciated that because there were a lot of garden bloggers that were doing Facebook Lives. Like, Bren does that all the time anyway. And Sunday mm-hmm. was my travel day. I left to go home because uh, Monday was my birthday and I had kids starting camps and my daughter was getting back from her mission okay. So I needed to be back home by Monday. So I left a little bit early. But that morning, as I was packing in my hotel... I had my Facebook on and sure enough, there were people who were Facebook living from Tammy's garden and then from the winery and later on in the day. And so I felt like even though I wasn't able to be with you on Sunday, I was able to uh, stay pretty caught up, you know, because I saw the presentations and and that was just so wonderful. You get a chance to do those things and, and mm-hmm. be, you feel like you're part of it. It's fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. It was. I think that's one of the best parts. I love I love the instant stuff. Yeah. I did a Facebook live video myself. But I wish I had done one from the winery. But that's another day and another podcast.
0: Another day and another <laughs> podcast. That's right. Now, um, yeah. how do you decide what to blog about after an event like The Fling? I saw Pam Penick post that she is doing the fling in reverse order. So she started with the last garden and she'll just start rolling through the itinerary backward. That's going to be her posting strategy. How do you gals determine what you're going to post about?
1: Well this is Peggy Reacher and I guess because I've been writing for magazines before, I think of I think of what's going to go on my website, but what could be an article idea for a local magazine. Like we went to see somebody's garden in Vienna and that can be an article for a local gardening magazine here because she's kind of like a celebrity here. So that would work better for that venue. But then for my own website, I saw in, in somebody's garden, that they were using parsley. What a great design idea, just to use parsley as a green, you know. And I would use that, it would be a short post for my blog. So part of it's the length, you know. So mm-hmm. to, 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 it's the, the topic and the length and the target audience. This is Dee. I go through all my pictures and I decide what things touched me the most. And that's what I write about. And I don't write about every single place we go to because I just don't have time. But I try to write about the things that touched me the most. And I was particularly touched by a couple of gardens that you will talk about later in some of your other podcasts. And those will be the ones that I probably write about, either because there's a story there or because I particularly like the style or whatever.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And this is Tanya. I'm still trying to flesh that out. Um, I was pretty impressed to see so many other bloggers have already (laughs) written blog posts. I was like, wow, I mean, I'm still, you know, I just finished going through my swag bag, and I still have to go through my my uh, all of my photos, so I haven't actually gotten to the post, um, but what I plan to do is as I go through my pictures, um, I'm really looking for a consistent theme to see, you know, what is it that I noticed in each of the gardens. We want to incorporate, you know, what was appealing to me, you know, what I got out of the swing at the first time or so. Again, I'm still. Fleshing it out, but I think that's the approach that I'm going to take.
1: Tanya, I think that'd be a great post
2: about what you okay, got out of you, it. Thank you.
1: Thank I you. do. I think that's, I think that's a post that would really be universal. And you could, you could also tie it to garden tours in general. You know, what, what do you look for? That
2: kind what do you look for? Yeah. And just, okay. you know, some learnings, um, you know, a couple of things had I known that I would have done differently, you know, and just, you know, for example, like the dinner. You know, the first night, um, you know, because I didn't go to um, the farm on Thursday evening, you know, I did meet some people on Friday, but I really didn't have any dinner plans or any reservations with folks for Friday night. So I was kind of wandering a little bit. Um, you know, so that would just be, you know, an FYI for a new slinger. You know, people get together on that first night. They often have reservations. You know, be proactive and ask who you can hook up with. Um, because people may not know you that well to invite you. And I think that's kind of, you know, what happened with
1: me. People definitely also talk about it before the fling.
2: Yeah.
1: Who they're yeah. going
2: to, yeah,
1: hang out right. with right.
2: sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And see so if you, you know, if this is your first time, you don't know anybody. So. Exactly. Gonna, you know, so wonderful. I say go on the fling
1: page and. Yeah. And try to get to know some people that you read or whatever.
2: Yeah. Right. Saturday night I was good, but Friday again, you know, I was kind of wandering the yes. wilderness a little bit.
1: Well,
0: and that's something we can mention to Pam, too, because next year's Fling will be back in Austin where it started because it'll be the 10th anniversary and Pam yeah. does a good job of taking care of of newbies and introducing them. Or
1: have yeah. make reservations for them, have the table at a restaurant for newbies so that they know where to go. Yeah, be there, yeah. and then some old timers
2: can be there at the table.
1: I love it. That would
2: be really good. That cool. would be. And and something I suggested to Tammy, um, but I will you know give the feedback to Pam, or you know if you guys want to, is you might you want, want to give it to Pam.
1: Helen too because Helen's to Helen. now in charge of the committee. So.
2: Oh okay, um, Helen so I see. What, was to have um new swingers partnered with a buddy and just have that person you know really kind of help you out um that I think that would be helpful you know uh, to' just be a fling buddy for our new person,
1: yeah mm-hmm. like at that. least
2: for the first day,
1: yeah,' because first pretty day, soon yeah. you meet people and it and it just takes off for itself, but yeah exactly. that first yeah. day can be really intimidating coming into it, I think, yeah,
2: yeah. And it depends on your personality. You know, I'm pretty outgoing. Um, but, you know, if you've got someone who's really an introvert, you know, it may be a bit of a challenge. Because um, like it's a Saturday, I was good. But Friday, I was a little, little out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I live here and I was on the committee. So I already knew all the ins and outs. So it didn't really. So it was my first fling. But on the other hand, it wasn't. I wasn't in the same situation you were in because I already had been working in it and knew it and everything. So but I could see. I could see how if you were coming here for the first time, it would be overwhelming. And that's why I was kind of trying to help. I was trying to help some of the people from out of town to point them where to go and, and things like that. But I could see how that would be
2: yeah.
1: a lot to take in all at once. And so that's, if I were new, then I would want a, a, like a buddy system and somebody uh-huh. to make the reservations for me at, for the first night. Because I wouldn't yeah. know where the restaurant is. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't know where anything is. Yeah. Yep, I like. that But idea. I could see how you could get you. Could, I mean, I could get like six months of stories out of this. It's not just the gardens. It's it's everything from the people to the swag bags to the goodies to the free plants that they can all be stories. You can get so many stories out of this, you know. Mm-hmm. And okay. even the funny experiences. I'm thinking of one particular in a garden where there was a demonstration of a uh, product, and it didn't go quite according to plan. And right. that would be a very funny post if you wrote it in a funny, humorous way. Right, right. right. Yeah.
0: I love it. Well, the posts are starting to roll in from the fling. Are there any posts that you guys have read that you've particularly enjoyed, or is it too new yet?
1: I haven't had time to read anything yet.
2: Oh, yeah, me early.
1: There was a person mm-hmm. named Connie uh, who owns Heartwood Roses, or maybe that's the name of the blog, and she had a, an idea of listing all of our blog sites on her site on her sidebar and i thought that was a really good idea that's a very generous thing for her to do too it was i must gonna spend a lot of work too so i thought that was a really good idea but in mm-hmm. terms of like articles I, I do like what Pam was doing uh with linda's uh garden the way she had the pictures and a little bit of text pictures and a little bit of text i really like that one a lot i need to go look at it i just haven't had time yet yeah
0: well, that post that you're speaking about with that Heartwood Gardens, what I noticed is when she put everyone's, all the blogs from the Garden Bloggers Fling and she featured them on her sidebar. The nice thing about it is it shows each of those blogs and then their latest post. So, yeah, yeah so that's super Yeah, handy.
1: that's a plug-in. I mean, I don't know, I don't know which platform she uses, but there's a plug-in for both platforms through Blogger and also WordPress. Where it pulls up the latest post, which is nice because then you can go look at them.
0: Yes, and since the majority of these blog posts from this group of people will be about the garden bloggers fling, at least for a while, it's really handy. It's a great kind of one-stop shop to see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's there. a great
1: idea. And I don't know how to do that, but if somebody could like explain how to do that, then it could be done again for the next one. You know, the, or other people could do that, but. Yeah, I mean, these people could be teachers. They could explain how to do that. You know, they yeah. could write about how to do that. Well, so even, everybody's like a teacher. Yeah, well, well even that could that, be even a post. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: well, and that could be a great plugin to put on the Garden Bloggers Fling website. You know, all right. Of those. right, it'd be
1: very easy to do. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. exactly.
1: Another great idea for the committee. Yeah, another and great and idea. I would encourage people who are on the Fling who um, have great ideas for the committee, or just want to give them an add a, add a girl or add a guy you know let them know because they appreciate it so then for people who want to know how to contact the committee then they would go to the Garden Bloggers Sling website yeah I think they could go to the website or you could actually send an email to Helen Battersby because she's um, head of the committee and then she would disperse it to the rest of the committee Mm. okay great idea that's my suggestion
0: great idea well, ladies, just a couple of more questions and we'll close it out here. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on social media. Garden bloggers, bloggers in general, usually use social media. What platforms are you partial to? And how do you use social media to get the word out about your garden blog?
1: Well, it's a lot more complicated. This is D. It's a lot more complicated than it used to be. You know, most social media is now weighted, and so it's weighted based upon how much interaction you have. So if you like a particular blogger or a particular thing that they put up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you know, like it, heart it, and also make a comment once in a while. Um, it's very much about interaction. So my favorite piece right now is probably Instagram because I just love I love how photogenic it is. And Facebook, you know, Facebook makes me tired, especially in the last political election but I still like it <laughs> and then um, but the problem with Facebook of course now is the algorithm has changed again and unless you promote a post by paying Facebook money um, it doesn't get much traction anymore and that's that could be a whole podcast you could just do a whole podcast on social media. Twitters once is now weighted also as is Instagram. I never got on Snapchat because I just uh, you know I can only do so many things. So that's my thoughts. What about y'all? I I don't have a lot of time, so that's why I just use the my own website, Facebook, and Twitter. Just it's just a time thing, because you also want time to be in the garden, and you also have to have the time to be with your family, and you also have and to live. Yeah, I mean, so there's just no <laughs> there's just. I always feel this constant pull between, you know, wanting to be in the garden and then being in front of the computer and writing and then of course the family and the job and everything. So there's just not a lot of time. So but that doesn't answer the question, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair analysis of what we all go through now. Yeah, I do.
2: This is Tanya. I tend to gravitate more towards Instagram. Um, That's my primary um, platform. But I do have a Facebook page um, where I'm doing a little bit of posting because I'm finding I have different groups of people in, in different places. So, You're right. You do. Um, Me too. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a little challenging, you know, to, to Peggy's point. Um, most of my um, interactions, though, are definitely on Instagram. I do have a Twitter account, um, but I don't really use it. I you know, I don't want to spread myself too thin. I try to make sure that I post somewhat different information in each place, in case I do have the same followers in both locations, you know, they don't want to see the same photo on Instagram and the same one on on Facebook. Um, or if it is the same photo, maybe I'll just add different information. So I do try to change it up a little bit. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, I've really made some great connections with other gardeners through social media. You know, I know sometimes people try to make it seem like it's all so bad, um, but I've really established some great connections and just, you know, solidified some of those at the at the garden thing. So I find it a value, and I also get to, you know, ask questions and, and share great information. I'm in some really good, um, you know, groups on Facebook. You know, at the yeah. plane, I joined Bren's uh, Garden Chat group, yeah. um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll also be joining um, Jennifer's Facebook group for the Still Growing Podcast, and you just find you really connect with some some great, you know, serious, like-minded individuals, and you can weed out, you know, some of the noise that you see on just your personal accounts, you know, because a lot of that stuff, you know, I don't care about, I just want to talk about gardening, and, you know, maybe some kid photos, <laughs> kid photos, pet photos, but you know, all, you know, the politics and all this other stuff, you know, I'm just, I'm like, so done with it. <laughs> like you
1: do. I don't want to hear it anymore. No, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I just want to move on and, and have a life. And I think it's a real challenge on Facebook. Groups are a great way to, to still get the word out. It's a real challenge to be authentic and not just share gardening posts. You know, so uh, my daughter just put up her pictures about her wedding and people who are my friends could see them. But having that public persona versus your personal persona, it's just, it's complicated. Pages on Facebook almost get no traction at all anymore. And how much do you relate your page to your own, you know, your page for your blog or your website versus your personal page? And gardening is such a big part of my life that it is part of my personal page, but I have to be careful it's a complicated dance.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty heavy on Facebook and I'm and I do use Twitter. I and I wasn't a Twitter user before. In the past year, I guess I've started to use it more and more. But all these platforms take so much time and and this is in addition to whatever post you're writing because usually you know, a post can take hours. Then are you gonna watermark those images or are you going to
1: uh, Yeah, yes you are, Jennifer. You know, are You're you gonna watermark <laughs> those images?
0: <laughs> you know, are you gonna put captions on there? You know what I mean? It's like you start to go through this blog post, you think, Oh, I'm just a garden blogger. And the next thing you know, four hours later, everybody's hungry and you know, the you get you post the post <laughs> and then you read the post and you realize, Oh my gosh, there's three typos in this thing. I gotta go back. And yeah. It just I mean Perfect. it's a it's a huge time commitment.
1: I think that's important for people to note that blogging, I don't think any of us, when we started blogging, I know I didn't, I didn't realize that I was going to be an editor, a photographer, a writer, um, content organizer, (laughs) social media marketer, publisher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I didn't know that I was going to, and then I didn't know I was going to be a social media deal. And it's funny because on Twitter, I love garden chat, which I do Monday nights with Bryn. I think that's a great community. And I do love her Facebook group. And then, um, Brandon Coppen who's with, um, Botanical Interest Seeds, a long time ago said, you need to work harder on your Instagram. And I should have listened to him because I don't have as many followers on Instagram as I do in other places. And so it's, it's funny. There are those tipping points where, um, you can, you can have a lot of followers really quickly. Or you can kind of miss that boat as it sails off into the sunset. So. Yes.
0: Well, ladies, why don't we close by having each of you talk about where we can find you online and then what, if any, upcoming events you have.
2: This is Tanya, um, and I actually blog at plantandshoot.com. So it's P L A N T A N D. S-H-O-O-T dot com. Uh, It's actually a photo blog for urban gardeners. So whether you are new to gardening or simply growing something new, this website, this blog will have a photo for you. So it's the place where urban gardeners go to see how things grow. I'm also on Instagram uh, under Mocha Gardens. Uh, I got that name because that is actually the name of my garden because it's where I enjoy my coffee every morning. Um, so I'm there under the Mocha Gardens, um, but I'm on Facebook uh, under Plant and Shoot. I actually have a Facebook page. So I look forward to hearing from someone. Um, Feel free to follow me and we can share and discuss some some cool urban, uh, edible, and pollinated gardening topics.
0: Perfect. Well, and ladies, let me jump in here really quickly because Kathy Gents of Washington Gardener Magazine had to leave our conversation early. She had a previous appointment but she wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that she is speaking at the upcoming GWA annual meeting in August in Buffalo, New York and here are the details. She's giving a presentation with Mary Kate Mackey from 8:30 to 9:30 in the morning and the topic is Words and Pictures: Surefire Tips to Writing Winning Headlines and Captivating Captions. That sounds great. All right, Peggy, you want to go next?
1: This is Peggy Riccio, and I live here in Alexandria. So I write about gardening for the D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia area, and it's for people who are new to gardening or for people who are new to this area. And so I write about lots of different things, but on a monthly basis, I list all the local gardening events in the area, and I'm up to like 60 a month, which is a lot.
2: Wow! Oh, my. Yeah.
1: It's a, and the other thing, too, is that I don't know if you've ever heard of Welcome Wagon, but my site is really based on Welcome Wagon. It's it's a place to go to that has all the local resources for gardening in this area, like your local extension office or your local botanical gardens, your local nurseries and all that. So it's, it's sort of a one-stop shop kind of thing to learn about gardening here in this area. So I don't have an event that I'm uh, going to or anything like that. I just list the local events. And I am on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash pegplant or look for Peggy Reed Show. and I'm on Twitter at pegplant. Um, I know I have an Instagram account. I just am not very active on it. And that's it. Okay. I'm D. Nash and you can, if you search Google and search for my name, you'll find all the places I am. But very quickly, I'm on Twitter as Red Dirt Ramblin'. I'm on Instagram as Red Dirt Ramblings D Nash. And I'm on Facebook. You can friend me as D. Nash or you can go to my page, which is my blog, Red Dirt Ramblings. Um, the blog started years ago as Red Dirt Ramblings because I live in the land of the red dirt in Oklahoma. And um, it's reddirtramblings.com. But if you just search for me online, I'd love to hear from you. And if you have a question, write me on my blog page or any of those other places. I'll see it and answer it as quickly as I can.
0: All right, ladies, I can't thank you enough for being on the show with me today and reviewing day one of the Garden Bloggers fling. That was a real treat.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, Yeah, thank you.
2: I appreciate it. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Bye. All right.
0: Bye, ladies. (laughs) Well, that's it for our show today featuring my fellow garden bloggers and our review of day one of the 2017 Garden Bloggers Fling and the Gardens of Washington, D.C. I hope you enjoyed learning about some of these wonderful venues like Hillwood, the Franciscan Monastery, and the gardens along the National Mall, including the U.S. Botanic Garden, the Archives of American Gardens, and the Mary Living's and Ripley Garden, as well as Willowsford Farm and Conservancy. These shows are always so fun for me because I get to debrief and recap with fellow garden bloggers about the garden bloggers fling, which is such a wonderful experience. And so for today's show, I want to make sure that I recognize one more time Tanya Peel of the blog Plant and Shoot, D. Nash of Red Dirt Ramblings. Peggy Riccio of pegplant.com and Kathy Jens of Washington Gardener magazine and Cats and Gardens blogspot.com. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me on this episode. I also want to thank my team at Podfly Productions, Eric Begay, my fabulous editor, Ayn Kadina, my show notes writer, and David Gregerson, my project manager. Just a reminder that I'll have all the generous information that was shared on the show today on the Still Growing podcast page on my website over at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. And I also wanna make sure that I recognize my listener advisory board members. These ladies have been so helpful to me and they are Beth Engel, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Achen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery of episode 553. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants. And in our episode together, she talked all about incorporating native plants into your landscape, which I hope is something you're trying to do in your 2017 garden. And don't forget to check out the Facebook group, the listener community for the show. It's a completely free group for you to join. Just head on up to the search bar the next time you're in Facebook and search for Still Growing Podcast Group. And then our group will pop up. You can request to join and you'll be in the group. I can't wait to meet you in the group. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated
2: to helping you and your garden grow.